Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. The NBA never sleeps, and Woj never sleeps. This is why the NBA offseason is one of the best seasons there is, because there's always action, there is always drama, and right now you have two of the best players in the game being traded for one another in the middle of the night, in the middle of the week, in the middle of July. Can I get a hell yes? Thanks, Alvin. According to Woj, the deal is this. Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green for DeMar DeRozan, Jacob Podol, and a protected 2019 first-round pick. And if you really want to get into the weeds on this, the first-round pick is a protected 1 through 20 selection. After one year, it becomes two second-round picks. But that's just the headline because there's a hell of a lot to unpack right here. First, Is Kawhi healthy? Obviously, Toronto is not signing off on that deal if they don't think that he is or if they believe that their medical staff can't get him back to where he was. So that's point number one. Is this guy healthy? They must think so or they must think they can get him to that point. And then there's this tweet from Chris Haynes. Quote, Kawhi Leonard has no desire to play in Toronto. League source tells ESPN. Uh oh! Listen, one thing to say that this guy's not fired up about playing north of the border, but quote, no desire to play in Toronto is a kick in the junk to Raptors fans. Because now you're getting a guy who's coming off a significant injury, who's a mystery to begin with, and everything about this guy in the past year has been really, really weird. And reportedly, he has already decided he does not want to play in your city. Fantastic. And then based on how he handled last season with San Antonio, you almost have to wonder if, in fact, the guy will even show up. And no, I don't want to hear about how it would cost him if he doesn't show because the guy could have already had the Supermax with the Spurs and already left that on the table, reportedly. And then you've got the DeMar DeRozan side of the equation. According to Haynes, DeRozan met with Raptors officials in Las Vegas and received assurances that he would not be dealt. And now he's been dealt. There's a word for that. Awkward. Awkward. O-C-K. Wood. O-C-K-W-O-O-D. Awkward. In fact, Rosen posted an Instagram story this morning that included, quote, be told one thing and the outcome another. Can't trust him. Ain't no loyalty in this game. Sell you out quick for a little bit of nothing. Soon you'll understand, don't disturb. End quote. Awkward. In other words, you just traded, check this, you just traded a guy who never wanted to leave, never wanted to leave Toronto for somebody who apparently does not want to come to Toronto. That's a huge swing. That's an even bigger gamble. That's an all-time gamble by Masai Ujiri a franchise that has struggled in the past to get free agents, just traded away an all-star and an Olympian who wanted to stay there in the worst way, and they did it to get a guy who has no interest in being there. That said, 
I see Masai Ujiri working. He knows it's a risk, but he also knows that the roster, as it's currently constructed, was really good, but not good enough, especially when it mattered, when it mattered most in the postseason. Masai is not interested in having a good team. He wants a great team. And this is a chance to get an MVP candidate. Those chances do not come around very often. So he pulled the trigger. I couldn't respect it more. I love it. I love it. Major stones to make a deal like that. He knows the risk, but he also has a ton of confidence in his organization that they can pull off what OKC did with Paul George. That when Kawhi gets a chance to experience that crowd, to feel the six, to embrace the North, to see the fans in Jurassic Park, that he's going to want to stay and he's going to want to re-sign. Then again, Kawhi is a very different dude, right? Kawhi could stick to his guns and leave as soon as he can and then make life miserable before then. This is the risk. And the fact that Masai is willing to take that risk, that gamble, shows that he has got a big brass set. I respect it. And then, of course, next question is, who won the trade? Who won the trade? I've got your answer. Team content. Team content is the winner. In terms of which NBA team won, you know what? Check back with me in a year. If the Raptors convinced Kawhi to stay, and he's still the player he once was, or near it, then they won the trade. If he walks, they lost the trade. I mean, from a Spurs standpoint, generally I would say it's nearly impossible to win a trade when you trade an MVP candidate in his prime. But given that that guy had a gun to their head, made it clear that he did not want to be there, and then you have all the other unknowns, they did get an established all-star in return. Let's face it. They were never going to get what they wanted for this guy. Teams are leery to part with assets for a guy who might be nothing more than a one-year rental, who might not be the player he once was, and a guy who, frankly, you can't trust. So the Spurs end up with an established all-star and an Olympian for an MVP candidate who wanted out. That's not that bad. And with DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge, the mid-range game in San Antonio is going to be legendary, and I know that's going to make Aaron Rodgers very happy. One more angle here. Where does that leave the Lakers? Should the Lakers have not learned from the Paul George situation? Should they not have jumped in on this to lock up Kawhi and make sure that he does go there? Or are they happy to see him going somewhere where they know he's not going to want to be and that they can sign as a free agent in a year? I mean, sure, there are other options in that 2019 free agent class. But if Kawhi resigns with Toronto... The year after PG signed with OKC, and he plays well. LA's going to look pretty stupid. Or are they also running the risk, playing the numbers? We'll see. It's too soon to tell where the Lakers come out. But if Kawhi stays in Toronto and he plays well, the Lakers are going to look pretty stupid unless they get somebody next year. But what if they get shut out? Bottom line is this. We're really not going to know who won this deal until a year from right now. If you want to declare a winner right now, you go right ahead. But there isn't one. Other than all the hot takers spewing all the lava, saying they all know how this is going to shake out, because in reality, nobody does. Not yet. As an example, go back a year. OKC won, won that trade with Indiana when they got Paul George for what appeared to be spare parts. Indiana was getting killed for making that deal. But then Vic Oladipo blows up as an all-star. DeMontis Sabonis averages 12-8. and eight, And suddenly OKC looks like they got destroyed in that deal. Where they gave up too much to get a guy who was only going to sign with the Lakers in a few months. 
And then it looked like they lost that deal until PG resigned. And then that thing swings back and forth a few months later. So the long and the short of it is this trade is not the end. It's only the beginning. No one knows Jack. I can only say this. Masai Ujiri has a brass set. The Spurs, realistically, were not going to get any more for that guy than they did, so they did all right. It's too soon to say whether or not it's bad for the Lakers. But if Kawhi stays in Toronto and he's still a top-five guy, the Lakers will look pretty dumb, especially if nobody in 2019 signs with them. A lot, like I said, a lot to unpack. A lot to unpack. And if you're Kawhi, got to wonder about Kawhi, right? They probably would have offered him that super max without knowing whether or not he was going to be the same guy that he was. And now he's in Toronto. Not L.A. Not L.A. Not with the Lakers. Not even L.A. with the Clippers. Not even Philadelphia with a couple of studs. Toronto. I love Toronto. I love Masai. I think they have a lot to offer. But I don't think that's where he wants to be. Not according to Chris Haynes in that tweet. We could do three hours on this. We could do six hours on this. We could do six weeks on this. Where do you come out? 1-800-636-8686. I also tweeted. I know one guy who loves that trade. I know the one guy who loves that trade. Josh Hader. Michael McCann is my guest. Michael, so good to have you back. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Jim. Thanks for having me back on. Always good to have you, Michael. Thanks so much. Now, it's been just over a week since the appearance of the now-deleted Instagram post that connected LaShawn McCoy to an alleged home invasion, domestic violence, child abuse, animal abuse, and the use of illegal performance-enhancing drugs. So, Michael, let me start right there. From a legal standpoint, what was your reaction when you first saw that post? Well, when I saw that post, obviously the, the allegations are very severe. They, If true, they would suggest that he was involved either directly or indirectly in a home invasion or an assault. Now, whether it's a home invasion, if you own the home, is a separate issue. But clearly, there would be the possibility of, of conspiracy or assault charges. And then the other issues that you mentioned, animal abuse, uh, performance-enhancing drugs, things like that. Now, now, there are all sorts of reasons to be skeptical or at least cautious with, with, a, with claims like that. We don't know if, the law, if law enforcement has verified those claims we don't know in some cases when they would have occurred, if they occurred at all, whether they left behind evidence. So it, it was a fluid story and it, one where caution is probably the best first move because it's a story that can really spiral out of control fast. Listen, when you get a good night of sleep, you know you're going to have energy. When that happens, you feel good. You feel awesome. That's why you need to be sleeping on a Casper mattress. It helps you get a great night of rest. You see, the Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams to give you a great night of sleep. You spend one-third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. It's breathable design, lets you sleep cool, and this is something I didn't know. It also regulates your body temperature throughout the night. And let me tell you, there are lots of people raving about the Casper mattress. More than 20,000 others love their Casper mattress, giving it an average rating of 4.8. You cannot argue with results like that. And here's yet another reason. The price will not keep you up at night. You can also order sheets, pillows, and that will give you the complete Casper experience. Why is it so affordable? Well, Casper cuts out the middleman and delivers it straight to you. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. 100 nights, the best trial period in sleep. 
Right now, for my listeners, you can get 50 bucks towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash jungle. Once again, casper.com slash jungle. Use the promo code jungle at checkout. Terms and conditions do apply. Once again, casper.com slash jungle. Promo code jungle. The picture that started to emerge was one of a home invasion that took place in a property that appears to be owned by McCoy. And according to Delicia Cordon's attorney, the invader attacked McCoy's estranged girlfriend, demanded jewelry that McCoy had previously requested back. If, in fact, that's true, what does that tell you? Well, it's certainly suspicious, right? The fact that it, that these are items, if in, if this turns out to be the case, that these are specific items that he wanted before that she wouldn't give up, and then an assailant enters the home and asks for those exact same items, that is at a minimum a source of suspicion for law enforcement. But it doesn't prove that he did it. It doesn't prove that he orchestrated it. And at that point, the law enforcement will ask him to be interviewed. They'll ask him for his text messages. They'll ask him for emails. They'll want any kind of potential evidence. They'll also look for the assailant. I mean, this is, if it wasn't him, and let's assume it wasn't, if it was some other guy, well, if that guy is caught, law enforcement's going to push really hard on him to, to inquire if, in fact, he was commissioned to do this act. So that person's going to be pretty critical. But right now, unless there's evidence tying him to the actual act, uh, I don't think law enforcement will charge him. Michael McCann joining us. All right, Michael, what about McCoy? He issued an initial statement that read in part, and I quote, the totally baseless and offensive claims made against me are completely false. Furthermore, I have not had any direct contact with any of the people involved in months, end quote. What do you make of that statement and how he's handled the entire situation? Well, it'll be interesting to see how he, inter- how he defines direct contact. Does direct contact mean he hasn't met in person with someone? Does it mean he hasn't sent them a text? an email. Direct is sort of an ambiguous word, and, and, I would, and I'm sure the prosecutors and law enforcement will ask him to clarify what he means by direct, but it does imply at least that he hasn't had any kind of uh, direct contact, if, if we're assuming that to mean both in-person and electronic, with her prior to th- this incident occurring. It, it, distances, it distances him from the act, but it, it doesn't exonerate him because you could pay somebody to do a crime and not have direct contact with the person who's victimized. So it doesn't doesn't clear him, but it does help to distance him from the act. Michael McCann, my guest. All right, so he was reportedly in Florida at the time of the incident, but that does not rule out the possibility, as you point out, that he was somehow connected to it. Leaving aside the allegations of child abuse, animal abuse, and steroid use, if McCoy was involved in this home invasion, what kind of charges could he be looking at? He'd be looking at some really serious charges, Jim. He'd be looking at assault. He'd be looking at conspiracy, maybe attempted murder, depending upon the circumstances of the act. He could also be charged with home invasion, although there's an open-ended question as to whether or not it's a home invasion. If you own the home, can you pay somebody to invade it? Well, probably not, but if you're not currently occupying it and you know someone else is, maybe it is a home invasion. So that's another potential charge. But, but whatever he's charged with, they would be serious felonies. Michael, is there any possibility at all that this was all a setup and McCoy is actually the victim here? Yeah, I, I think we have to be open to any kind of possibility along those lines. Let, let's, let's, let's play out the facts. Okay, let's say the assailant requested specific items that McCoy had asked from her before. Well, that would, you could argue, that suggests it's him, or the assailant knew that he asked for those items, maybe because he mentioned it to other people, 
And at that point, the assailant could help to sort of connect him unfairly and unlawfully to the crime. So, yeah, I, I think it is it's possible it's a setup. It's possible it was a criminal act. There are a lot of possibilities here. All right, then. Michael McCann joining us. If you were the NFL, how would you be handling this situation? I would be really cautious if I were the NFL, because if they get this wrong, he could potentially bring a lawsuit for defamation. I think the league has to be really careful until law enforcement has made definitive statements about its intentions in terms of how they're going to handle it. Will they pursue charges against McCoy? Will they clear McCoy? Will they just sort of leave it open-ended until they can identify the person that actually broke in? So my instinct is the NFL would be, would be pretty wise to just say, we're not going to take any actions against him. Obviously, uh, a person was brutalized, and, and we feel awful about it, but unless there's evidence that connects that act to, to an NFL player, it wouldn't be appropriate for the league to take action. Well, then, in terms of law enforcement, how do you expect law enforcement to proceed with the case? What kind of a time frame might we be looking at? I think we're looking at, probably, you know, we're not there, so it's always hard to know, but I think we're looking at weeks, maybe. I think they're going to want to figure out who broke into the home, if, in fact, it was a home invasion. They'll also look to see if McCoy's willing to turn over evidence. You know, he's hired a criminal defense lawyer. They're going to want him to cooperate, and if he, he doesn't have to cooperate because he hasn't been charged... But if he doesn't cooperate, that will elevate their suspicions. Legal analyst Michael McCann joining me for another few moments. And before I let you go, amidst everything else that's going on, late last week there was also the announcement that five former Louisville basketball players who were members of the 2013 team that was stripped of a national title were filing a lawsuit against the NCAA. What are they seeking and what are the grounds for it? Yeah, so Luke Hancock and four other former players are arguing that they were put in a false light when the NCAA punished Louisville for the sex-for-play scandal involving prostitutes. These players say, look, we're not denying that that stuff happened, but we had nothing to do with it. And by punishing the whole program, you've really looped us into a scandal that we have no involvement in, and that has tarnished us. It's tarnished us in terms of our records have been vacated, and also now people associate us with this really bad, immoral act that, again, we had nothing to do with. So their argument is primarily false light. They're saying they've been unlawfully looped into this. They've also argued that the, that the NCAA has broken its fiduciary obligations to student-athletes. Now, the flip side is the NCAA is going to say, okay, that's fine, but you know as a player we punish whole programs, and that's part of the deal. It's our right under our membership agreement with schools. And also, it's, it's not uncommon to have whole teams punished. We know that Russia was punished in the Olympics, because of dope, a doping scandal, there were athletes that had nothing to do with it, but they lost their eligibility to compete for their country. So it's a way of deterring conduct, right? If you say the whole team gets punished, the hope is that that will encourage people that know about wrongdoing to come forward before it happens. All right, so I see both sides of that. How likely is it that these players will be successful in this particular case? I think they have a shot, but I think it's a, it's a hard argument because the NCAA is so insulated in terms of its agreements with member schools that they have this right to punish. But I do think the players have maybe a chance. Uh, it, it's been brought in a state court, so the judge will presumably be elected. The jurors will be local. And also the, the idea that you have innocent players could have some traction. It's, it's clear that not all of the players were part of that prostitute scandal. And you know, I think anybody could empathize and say they don't want to be looped into something like that. Right, so finally, if the players were to win that lawsuit, Michael, what kind of implications could that have going forward? Well, I think it would... It would potentially prevent the NCAA from its normal approach of punishing entire programs. I think 
it would put the NCAA in a position where if it's going to punish people for misconduct, it's going to have to identify who those people are. So the players that actually partook in the conduct, the coaches that actually commissioned it or acquiesced to it. So it would limit potentially the NCAA's ability to punish entire programs. It could also prevent the NCAA from vacating records which we know has been a controversial move by the league, by the NCAA. Michael McCann is the author of Court Justice, the inside story of my battle against the NCAA with Ed O'Bannon. That book is available right now, also an SI legal analyst. Michael, thanks so much for your time. Great to have you back. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Give me a minute so I can talk to you about one of my favorite new products, Bespoke Post. It delivers a monthly-themed box of awesome, full of goods to upgrade your style, your apartment, and your life. Bespoke Post has made my home bar look absolutely incredible. I'm telling you, I look forward to this every single month. I can't wait to bust open that box of awesome. These guys are upgrading my style, my life, one box at a time. It's kind of like a present from myself to myself once a month, and now you too can experience this at boxofawesome.com. Bespoke Post scouts out quality and unique products from around the world and then delivers them to you every single month without high retail markups. To get started, visit boxofawesome.com, answer a few short questions, and then they'll get a feel for the boxes that will best go with your style. To receive 20% off your first subscription box, go to boxofawesome.com and enter promo code ROME at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, promo code ROME. Get 20% off your first box. Again, bespoke post, theme boxes for guys that give a damn. Wednesday of Smack Week, Smack Off Week, the double champ, the champ champ, left in Laguna Beach, checking in midweek what's up champ jimmy how you doing man good left how are you i'm doing good hey uh gino thanks for that five minute rsvp that you won't be calling friday remind me not to invite you to a party you can't attend because i don't need to read a nine page regret letter but anyways jimmy let's not call this an rsvp quite yet i've got a member of my team that's gonna be delivering that later in the show today so look for that but as far as Friday, Jimmy, dude, you can eliminate studio storms, video recordings. Hell, you can require us to enter the telephone number using just our nose. I'm still going to win this thing. And then what, Jimmy? Our caller is going to ask for a rule change banning who's, anyone whose name rhymes with Jeff. Brad's breathing a sigh of relief knowing that the rule change didn't require sports takes. Mark and Hollywood's crossing his fingers. You don't implement a height requirement. Tyler and Matt are comforted knowing that personal appearance smack on your southern border isn't ruled out. Although if smacking your southern border plays, that probably won't be a good day for Vic and Baja Rodway. But, Tyler, dude, sweet pick you had on TV this week. Nice hog. And the bike wasn't bad either. Anyways, Jimmy, we all know Mike's coming in with the Canadians this year. Building a super team might not be the only way to beat me. But if Mike's involved, it's not going to happen because he's from the Hoosier State. And, Mike, you know who's your daddy. So to everyone wondering what I'm going to do this Friday without a studio to storm, nothing. The only storm I got planned is a Category 12 tornado of hate, venom, and vitriol, and it's going to send all these other guys running into Caleb's basement. Because this year, Romy, I'm calling naked and of unafraid. Hey, Brad, I'm naked. I have not seen this. I'm looking right into the camera and telling you 100%. I have not seen this. I'm going cold with this. Alvin has seen it. It went to him. CBS Sports Network obviously has seen it. They have it. I have not seen this. I have not seen this. I have not seen the RSVP. 
Left is doing left things. Left sent this along. It is a video. So get to CBS Sports Network if you want to actually see his RSVP. If you can't do that, you can hear the RSVP. And when you hear it and when you see it, it's going to be for the first time right along with me. I have not seen this. So left called up moments ago and said, I'm not RSVPing. A member of my team will do so. Here it is. Again, again, if you're watching on CBS Sports Network, you'll see it. If not, listen for it. Apparently, this is his RSVP. Jim, straight fire here. Sorry if I sound a bit hoarse, but I'm here to RSVP for Left and Laguna, so I won't keep you fur long. I just wanted to stir up a little trouble. I'm glad Left has finally been reined in and now Mustang out of the studio. Just make sure Left doesn't have the combination to the paddock on the door. Anyways, I can't wait for Left's call. I'll be listening on Satellite Radio. I'm curious about what he'll do. Like Philly, go wire to wire and winning a third <laughs> title for the Triple Crown. Or Philly, Appaloosa jize after he once again proves Muck in Indy is never the bridal but always the bridesmaid. War barn in Corona's gag bit and his low-rise Jodapers. Track me. I'm out. Holy crap. All right. Hearing that does not do it justice. You have to understand exactly what this guy did. All right, so Lef... (laughs) You gimmicky little bitch. So left, left rolls out. He's produced this whole spot. All right, I. You need to see this. You have to see this to fully appreciate what he did. I'm gonna put this on Facebook in just a moment, so you can see the whole thing. So look for that on my Facebook page. What he did was he produced a spot. It's got the animation. It's kind of a spoof on my animation for this show, our opening animation, where I'm sitting there in, with my throne. And the crown, he did the same thing with himself. And when he went with that fake horse voice, he's got video of our horse straight fire. You have to understand about Lef. Like, I don't know what this guy's deal is. I don't know how Lef is wired the way he's wired. I don't know how he knows the people that he knows. I don't know how, like, I still have no idea how he found everybody from the 96 SI photo shoot. But this is kind of what this guy does. It's part of his genius. That horse video that he got, all right, Straight Fire is a horse that we own in a partnership. This horse lives in Northern California on a farm that I have never been to. I have never been to this farm. I haven't seen this horse in a couple of years. He got video of, I don't want to say my because it's not my, it's our. We own this horse in a partnership. He got video of my horse. I haven't seen the horse. I don't have video of that horse. Dude, how did you get on that property? How do you... I barely know the people on that property. Left. Left. Dude, this dude is unbelievable. I mean, literally, he has access 
did I don't have to something I own. All right, so if you're watching on CBS Sports Network, damn, that's a beautiful horse. James Kelly is, is out of his mind. The only person who likes Straight Fire more than me is James Kelly. Straight Fire was such a badass. Straight Fire broke his maiden at Del Mar by 10 and a half lengths. And some of the talking heads were comparing him to Seattle Slough. He was such a badass horse. This is why we're trying to turn him into a sire. Anyway, left, left got video of Straight Fire. The only thing that would have been more remarkable is if he got video of Shared Belief, who passed in 2015. <laughs> Left, don't get any ideas, all right? Let's share belief. Rest in peace. I mean, dude, I'm blown away. Even for left, that's crazy. Video of a horse that I haven't seen. Video from a farm that I've never walked on. Yet somehow he wired himself in. I mean, never mind the stupid rap that he laid underneath it. He got access to my horse. Dude, you're starting to scare me, really, legitimately. All right, so there's that. Look for that on Facebook. The RSVP came from my horse. Wait, what? Wait, what? There's more. Alvin says there's another RSVP. All right, let's go ahead. If you're listening, you'll hear it. If you're watching on CBS Sports Network, here is another part of Left's RSVP. Hey, Lef, Henry Winkler here. Just want to touch base before Smack Off 24. How great is it that it's on TV this year? So, I'm heading off to Idaho to catch some trout, catch and release, always put them back. I've written down July 20th, and I'm storming the studio. And I'm bringing with me my award. Did you hear that? Fonzie. He got Henry Winkler to... uh, Fonzie. Fonzarelli. Fonzarelli just RSVP'd for left. He's got video of Arthur Fonzarelli RSVPing, saying that he is going to storm the studio, and then Fonzie lifted the CCA that he won. Remember, he won a Clone's Choice Award. It was Fonzie. It was Henry Winkler who said, hey, listen, you got to send me something. I need something to commemorate this. This means a lot to me, Jim. I really would like something. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what the value is. But just send me something so I can put it up on my mantle and let people know that I won this prestigious award. And he still had it, and he broke it out. Can we re-rack that? Sharon, can you run that again? Can the guys in New York, CBS Sports Network, if you're watching, you have to see this. Left got Fonzie on video, not audio. Check this. Hey, Left, Henry Winkler here. Just want to touch base before Smack Off 24. How great is it that it's on TV this year? So, I'm heading off to Idaho to catch some trout, catch and release, always put them back. I've written down July 20th and I'm storming the studio, and I'm bringing with me my award. It hey, listen, that left rule, that does not exclude Arthur Fonzarelli. If the Fonz wants to come in here, he can. 
He did it. If you're looking on CBS Sports Network, you can see him holding his CCA, the Clones Choice Award. Fonzie. Freaking Fonzie. Raiders quarterback Derek Carr joins us. Derek, it's great to have you back. How are you? Oh, it's so good to be back, man. I'm doing good. How are you? Derek, I'm great. It's great to hear your voice. You know, it's kind of amazing, but you're already entering your fifth season as the Oakland Raiders quarterback. Let me start right there because that is truly one of the iconic positions in all of sports. So when you step back for one minute, what's it mean to you to be the quarterback of the Oakland Raiders? It is a, it's a blessing. Um, and like you said, man, fifth year, that's crazy, right? How fast that, right. How fast that went. Um, and uh, we're just getting started. Uh, I feel like, you know, I feel like, um, you know, the first four years were, were fun and cool. We, I, I accomplished some dreams and things like that, but there's still, there's still some things on my list I'm trying to get to. So, and I feel like we're just scratching the surface. So, uh, to do it with the fran- with a franchise like the Raiders, um, you know, I, I don't know if a little kid can ask for, you know, more growing up. You know, I think it's, uh, it's truly a blessing to be a part of something like that. Raiders quarterback Derek Carr, my guest. I know you're looking ahead and you've got big expectations for this year. Derek, one quick look back at last year. I know it didn't go the way you would have liked, but as you look back on last season, what kind of thoughts do you have? You know, it's a weird, it's a weird feeling, to, first of all, because we, we sat there and we had uh, all this talent. All, uh, everything was in place. Uh, you know, we started out 2-0, and putting 45 points on somebody. You know, and we, we feel like we're rolling. And then we hit a bump in the road and things start to change. And, uh, you know, I think with the expectations that we all had for each other in that building, um, you know, and the things that we, you know, thought we were going to do and things like that, I think that, you know, we hit a, we hit a hard patch and we saw, we saw some, saw some of the worst sides of, you know, uh, people during that time, which, uh, you know, can happen in sports. You know, it's tough. You know, things are hard. It's stressful. You know, it's, uh, it's one of those things that, you know, it, it's not easy to go through hard times, but I'll say this, um, uh, you know, going through that, uh, I, I've seen the highest of highs, and obviously I've seen the lowest lows that it can get. Um, with just being in the NFL for five years, there's nothing that that we can go through now that you know would would uh, affect me. You know, that's not you know one game's not going to derail our season. You know, one thing's not going to change our whole mindset. You know, and things like that. You know, I've learned I, I've learned that now, and uh, you know it's it's been. It's been hard, but at the same time, I wouldn't have traded last year for anything because, honestly, um, we're right back where I want to be. I like when people doubt us. I like that side of things a little bit better. Raiders quarterback Derek Carr joining us. Really candid response, Derek. You know, one of the changes that took place in the offseason, of course, the arrival of John Gruden, the two of you seemed to really hit it off back in the day when he was doing his quarterback camp series. What do you remember about that conversation, and then what's it been like working with him so far? Oh my goodness! Yeah. So back back uh, when I did uh, the Gruden quarterback camp, uh, I just remember us really hitting it off. And uh, you know, one of the people uh, that was working uh, the event, uh, working the the show, came and told me, and you know, as as we were finishing up, like, hey, uh, I think you're his favorite one that he's ever done. <laughs> you know, kind of wow. kind of like that. And I said, well, that's all you. Know, that's cool. You know. Uh, and, he, and he's like, no, man. You, you know, you listen, you, you wanted to learn from him, all of those things. And, uh, you know, I, I think you guys hit it off really well. I said, and I told him, I said, I think so too. And I remember us sitting there and he's like, man, uh, one day it'd be so cool to coach you. And like, we just kind of laughed about it because neither of us thought that that time would ever come. <laughs> you know, uh, we never imagined that there would be a time where that was possible. But sure enough, here we are five years later 
and he's my head coach. And I tell you what, man, uh, everything I you know dreamed of and thought of about him, uh, it, it's been all that and then some. You know, we we are so similar. It's so funny when you know he was going to be a coach. The the number one question was like, well, are you guys going to get along? And both of us would just sit there and laugh together because it's like, what do you mean? You know, we love football. You know, we we want to win. We love to compete. We love to demand from one another. I demand from him. He demands from me. Yeah, I'm I'm in his ear every day. What do you have for me today? What are you What are you teaching me today? And he's in there pushing me. If I you know I can complete in a practice, go thirty for thirty one, and we'll spend an hour talking about that one I missed and how that could be the difference in a game. And that's exactly how I want it. And uh, you know, I, I think that. Uh, you know, obviously we're just getting started. We're trying to put the train on the tracks and just get this thing rolling. But, uh, you know, the fact that he's here for 10 year deal and all those things that it, it'll give me, uh, you know, some stability, you know, some, uh, some same terminology, you know, for a few years. And, uh, that's kind of nice. Derek Carr joining us. You love the game. You love the craft, Derek. One of the things you've talked about is studying Tom Brady. You know, as one Pro Bowl quarterback looking at another Pro Bowl quarterback, I've got to ask, what do you see when you watch him work? You know, the, the most amazing thing about Tom, now he is obviously one of the best to ever play the game. And, uh, you know, it's a, you know, some of the things I could tell, uh, you know, some of the things that he does that's amazing and all of those things. But I think the thing that he does the very best is he just does his job better, <laughs> better than anybody on the field. You know, it's not anything crazy that he's trying to do. Now he'll make a throw here and there where you're just like in awe, you know, and you're like, wow, that's amazing. Uh, just like all the pro quarterbacks do. But the thing that I think Tom does the best is that he just does his job consistently, um, you know, better, better than most. And I've just, uh, you know, I've been striving for is that I can, so let's, let's turn those eight out of 10, you know, spectacular throws and good decisions into 10 out of 10. And so that's one thing that coach Gruden has been really, really helping me with. We're talking to Derek Carr. You know, Derek, there's no way you come on this program and we don't talk about your family. We don't talk about your kids. How is the family yeah. right now? Oh man, they're doing so good. Yes. And I always appreciate that. They're doing so good. Dallas, he's a, he'll be five here in August and, uh, and then little Decker, man, he's already two. So, my wife's already asking for a little girl, so the chances are right now it'll be a boy, but we'll, we'll try our best. <laughs> you know, let me ask you something. Earlier this month, you and Heather participated in a ribbon-cutting ceremony at Valley Children's Hospital, and in the past we've talked about that hospital and how much it means to you and your family, but one of the stories you told that day was there was a child there that you had sent a video to, and it was on his first day of chemo. You saw him again on his last day of chemo. What was that like, yeah. and what did that mean to you? You know, as I'm not, I'm not even kidding. As you tell that story, I get goosebumps because, uh, you know, it shows that, um, we've been, uh, we've been committed, you know, we're, we're very loyal, uh, to, to the families there, to the people there. Um, and, and, you know, it's, we've had a shared experience. Now Dallas didn't have anything like, uh, that child was going through. Um, but we have been there. We've been, you know, <laughs> parents for a patient there. And so we know, that any encouragement, any kind of um, lifting somebody up can help. But, you know, they reached out somehow to me. I forget even how. And I remember sitting on my couch upstairs in my house making the video. And we didn't post it on anything. I just sent them a video privately um, through somebody. And then uh, I went in to visit. And sure enough, um, they they don't ever tell me uh, the kids that um, that I get to you know that, that I get to go visit because some are obviously having better days than others. And so. Um, I showed up, and sure enough, I was right there uh, with the same child uh, who I sent the video to on his first day of chemo, and uh, there on his last day. And his mom told us just how much that meant to him, and 
that it really encouraged him to really fight. And, uh, you know, and uh, he, he sure enough, he's doing a great job and he's doing great now. What an amazing story. I mean, I can't imagine there's anything that you ever hear that makes you feel better than that. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, the fact that he's on his last day and he, you know, he told me, you know, when he said I get to go home and he smiled, that, that made my day. Derek Carr, Oakland Raiders quarterback, three-time Pro Bowler. The Raiders getting ready for the Rams on September 10th. Derek, I appreciate you. I appreciate this conversation. I look forward to it every single time we do it. And thanks so much for coming back on. Oh, anytime. You know that. Uh, man, much appreciated. God bless you. And uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. He is Mike Freeman. Mike, good morning. What's up? How are you? That might be the best introduction of all time. And um, live long and prosper, my man. You know why? Because you might be the best guy of all time, Mike Freeman. I will. And you you as well. <laughs> God, that sounds great. Listen, you've got a piece up today. <laughs> and part of what you address in that uh, piece is the situation with Le'Veon Bell. You pointed out there is a number that explains why Bell will miss training camp. What is that number and what's it represent? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm, I knew that Steelers Nation was a very vocal and proud nation. And I'm hearing from a lot of them today. Because there's there's always, you know, Jim, there's always been this strain of fan that just doesn't like to see players um, get theirs. And most of us will change jobs and we will change jobs for better betterment of ourselves and our family and to make more money. And players do the same thing. And this is what Le'Veon Bell is essentially doing. Le'Veon Bell wants more money and he deserves more money. And, and what I point out with that number is just how much money the owners are making. It's staggering. And we, we know because the Packers released their annual financial report, and the, the owners are making money hand over fist from the TV deal alone, not counting stuff they sell at the stadiums, the beer, the T-shirts. Um, and players get a chunk of that, of course, but they, they're not making nearly as much as they should. And guys like Le'Veon Bell, understandably, say, I'm going to get mine. And I got no problem with that. And I don't know how anyone could have a problem with that. And he's, he's, the Steelers are, are offering him a lot of cash, but he deserves more. So good for him. I'm glad he's doing this, and I wish more players would do it. Mike Freeman joining us. All right, then. With the way negotiations have gone, Mike, who do you think is risking more in this case, Le'Veon Bell or the Steelers? Well, I think it's. I think the Steelers are taking a huge gamble here. Um, look, the the running back position. You know, this gym has been devalued over the the last few years, um, really like the last ten or so. But there are examples, and and who there are players who are different. There are players that break that mold. He's one of them, and and also the position is starting to come back a little bit. Because running backs are starting to do much more in the offense. are starting to be much more involved in the passing game. Le'Veon Bell lines up wide. He's as good as a receiver running routes. He's out of the backfield. He does a lot of catching. He's an instrumental key part, perhaps the biggest part of their offense. So when you lose a guy like that, yes, you can replace some of that. Yes, there will be players that will come in and replace some of that. But he's special. And you lose that kind of special player – down the road, um, it will hurt your franchise. And, and I don't care what anyone says, he's that good. I think he's the best running back in football. I think he's better than Gurley. I think he's better than some of the other guys. And you lose talent like that, it hurts your team. It hurts your franchise. There's no question about it. Mike Freeman, Bleacher Report, NFL National Lead Writer, joining us. You know, Mike, he'd argue that he's not only the best running back in the NFL, period, 
that he's the best running back in the NFL and he's also a number two receiver. In fact, how about this? The Steelers were offering him a lot of money, but they're not offering him what they pay Antonio Brown. For instance, if you're an opposing defense, who scares you more, Le'Veon Bell or Antonio Brown? Well, it's close, but you know, from people I've, I've talked to in the league who have game planned against them, it's Bell because he's more of a central part of that offense because he runs and he, like you said, he catches. He's like a, he's not even Jim like a number two. He's like a number one receiver. I mean, he could play a number one receiver in this league if he wanted to. So that kind of guy who is that versatile scares defenses more. Um, and the argument against that is they've had guys like D'Angelo Williams and some other guys replace him, but they, no one replaces him like this everything he does in that offense makes him incredibly value to what valuable to what they do antonio is great i mean he's he's the best receiver in football but when you have a running back who can also run routes the way he does be so effective in the receiving game um that, that puts a price tag that is very very hard to match you know mike of course they're trying to make the argument and I'm talking about Le'Veon Bell and his folks, they're trying to make the argument that you got to pay the player and not the position, which sets up something really interesting to me. In terms of the overall valuation of players and how players are paid, who then would you rather have? An elite running back like Bell or Todd Gurley or a quarterback like Andy Dalton? Who brings more to your offense? <laughs> that's, that's a good way to I mean, the quarterback position is so valuable but I mean you're gonna really you're gonna compare Gurley and a guy like Andy Dalton I mean Gurley is more valuable uh Le'Veon Bell is more valuable than probably half the quarterbacks in this league there's just he he brings that much impact into the game and I don't want to turn this into me just talk acting like Le'Veon Bell's agent he has an agent but it's it's remarkable to me how um, the league is able to, in a lot of ways, um, almost brainwash some fans into thinking that the running back position isn't that valuable. Um, you don't pay guys for two positions. You only pay them for one. They're able to really convince people that that's the case when that's no longer the case with a handful of guys. You name some of them. There's no longer the Gurley is a different animal than other running backs. He's just different. And, and Bell's the same way, and they have more value than some quarterbacks because of everything they do in the offense. Mike Freeman, my guest, you know, you mentioned different. Le'Veon's different. He's a different cat on the field. He's a different kind of player. He's a different guy off the field. He's just different. But when I think about a different guy and a different running back, in writing about running backs, you reference Barry Sanders and the impact that he had as a one-man offense. And, of course, for all the noise he made on the field, and he made next to no noise off the field whatsoever. You wrote a piece on him back in the day. I've had a couple of experiences myself with him back in the day. What did you have to do to get him to sit down? And then what was it like when you actually <laughs> did sit down with him? He's very hard to catch on and off the he field. He is elusive, man. Very, for, for people who don't know Jim, I mean, you know this. For people who don't know, he's a very, very quiet guy. Um, has been his, his whole career always shunned the spotlight and was just a very low-key, really good dude. And the, and the couple times I would go to interview him, it would take me days to be able to, to do it. 
because he just didn't want to do. He just didn't want to deal with it. He was never mean. He was always classy. He was always nice. And eventually, he would sit down with you, but you would have to jump through hoops to do it. And then once you did sit down with him, um, he was a really, really is a, just a smart guy and a really nice guy. And he turns fifty this week, I think. And I don't know how many people got to watch him live and got to see a lot of him. And you can see the what he did on YouTube. And you watched him live. You know how great he was. For people who didn't, I mean, it's hard to put into words how good he was. He was just a very electric uh, player. He was better. If you think, you know, we were talking about Le'Veon Bell, and if you think those guys are good, Sanders was a lot better. And that tells you how good he, he was. He was just a really fantastic player. And off the field, just a really, really good dude. He, he was one of the most unique players I've ever seen, one of the most unique running backs I've ever seen. In fact, I would argue, Mike, I've never seen a player like Barry Sanders. I've never seen guys who could do what Barry Sanders could do. I mean, in a league of really freaky athletes, I've never seen a guy like that. And then off the field, he was so interesting. I can remember, Mike, when I was in Santa Barbara getting my start, I have no idea why, but it was not long after he won the Heisman Trophy. He came through Santa Barbara, and it was like he went through some PT clinic or something. I mean, it was so obscure and so weird, and they said to me, do you want to sit down with Barry Sanders? I'm like, are you kidding? Barry Sanders is going to be in Santa Barbara? I say to him, Barry, so tell me about the Heisman. Where is it? He goes, I don't know. I'm like, dude, really? Are you trolling me? Are you doing? He's like, no, really, I don't know. I said, you don't know where the Heisman Trophy is? He's like, I don't know where it is. Like he almost even didn't care. It was not a disrespect, right? But he literally had lost track of it, or he didn't know. And the weirdest thing about that, Mike, is it wasn't that weird if you know that guy. Exactly. And he was, that's how he was. a great story. That's how he was and how he still is. I mean, he's still a very low-key guy. He's one of the best running backs, you could argue the best of all time, and he's still a low-key guy. And he was a very just different kind of dude. But on the field, like you said, like he, I mean, he was just such a unique, unbelievable talent, hard to bring down, hard to tackle, and was a one-man show like I've never seen for an other backs. He was just a remarkable, remarkable player. Listen, one quick topic before you go. When you look at the share of revenue that the players get, and you touched on this, they do get a piece of all that. But when you look at the revenue, the new piece that's about to enter that pie is sports gambling. How aware are the players about the money that's going to be made off of gambling and how much do they want for themselves? Players are, Jim, more aware now um, as much about that, about the finances of that and the finances of football than I've ever seen them in the past. Because in the past, they, they were, the union was always obviously very tuned into the revenue, how much money players were making and what it meant. But players were a little more distant from it. They were more just how it impacted them um, individually. Now I see players much more collectively thinking about this. And the gambling is a big part of this. I mean, it's just going to be huge amounts of money coming in. They're already coming in. In New Jersey, where I am, there's already a lot of money coming in from gambling. It's just going to get much more so. And players are really, really paying attention to this because they don't want to lose any of this money because everyone is going to be making money off of this and they want to be a part of this. And I'm telling you, Jim, um, when the collective bargaining agreement is up, when this one is up in a few years down the road, this is going to be a huge part of it. I, I, I don't know how players will do it, but I know there's going to be a movement to get guaranteed deals, get more money, 
and they're going to have to sit out a year to do it if they do this, but there's going to be a movement to do that. They're going to want more of the pie because the pie just keeps getting bigger. It's weird. The ratings have sort of leveled off and gone down, but the money has stayed the same and gotten bigger. More the TV contracts are the same. Gambling money's coming into the picture. So the sport is going to see unprecedented financial growth in the next few years, and players are watching this very, very closely. One of the universe's most universally respected, interesting, and liked people, Mike Freeman. You can read him on Bleacher Report. You should absolutely read his books. You negotiate like a girl with Amy Trask, Snake, the legendary life of Ken Stabler, and most of all, clones, you should watch Star Trek. Warp speed, baby. Let's go. Warp speed, Mike. Warp speed. Have a tremendous day. And a Vulcan salute to you, Mike Freeman, my guest. Time now for a profile. Again, I had no idea what to expect. If I had no idea what to expect on Wednesday prior to the smack-off, I really have no idea what to expect the day of the smack-off. But I know this. Deuce is up. Only two days left until that smack-off. Two days until the guy who just heard left tries to make it a three-peat. Or he vacates that throne and somebody else is crowned the king of smack for a year. I wish that damn thing would go down right now. Especially based on the day we're having. But I can't wait to find out what's going to happen this time. It's the rare time of year where I know as much as you know. I had not seen that video. I did not know what left had. So I know about as much as you know. And that's what makes it appointment listening. Anything and everything can happen and always does. Of the questions, all the questions, heading into Friday, is there any bigger one, though, than this? Where is Mikey? Where is Mike in Indy? Where is the 2014 champ? Where is the DLC, De La Creme? It's been 355 days since I heard from Mike. 355 days since his last call to the program. 355 days since his third consecutive runner-up finish in the smack-off. And to say that there has not been a void and that something's been missing, and that'd be a lie because there has. You know, you can call him a bitter bridesmaid. You can call him an all-time great. You can call him a baby. I've never had any issue with what Mike has said or done. Call him a baby. I think the guy's a beast. You can call him a chump. I'll call him the champ. He's won before. Listen, you think, you think that I'm going to throw dirt on one of the best contributors this show has ever had? One of the best callers to any radio show there's ever been? Please. Please. Just because I don't know where this guy is does not mean that I do not have a sound bank of reminders of how good he is or how good he used to be. If you think I hold this guy in a certain regard, hell, Hawk, Hawk practically strokes out every time Mike calls. I know I'm kind of a big deal, but I'm going to need Hawk to sign a waiver if you let him pick me up on the phone again. We all know he has poor cardio, and I could hear his heart pounding through the phone. His heart was pounding harder than Dustin Johnson before a drug test. That's a theme for Mike. Smashing Hawk for melting down like some sort of fanboy every time he picks Mike up. And Mike's not wrong. I saw it myself right through the glass. But this dude cracks everybody. This dude will crack anybody and everybody. 
Like that time back in 2017 when Jeff from Middletown called from his landscaping job for the first time in seven years so he could take a run at him. I called back when it was the jungle, baby. And then I hear this guy, and he sounds like the girl from American Pie with the, with the upper voice inflection, talk about a bum from Indianapolis. Now, I called him Mark because he was a Mark to me. Rome, you allowing him to turn the jungle into the petting zoo. And I'm trying to be calm, Rome, because I'm out here enjoying this beautiful weather, my landscaping business, making this money, blowing a hippie lettuce, relaxing. And then dude just take me out my zone with that weakness. I'm HIV, bruh, and you early. I'll end your career, homie. <laughs> That's horrible. I'm HIV and your Irv and I'll end your career, homie. I'd forgotten that. I'd forgotten how horrible that was. I mean, do I even have to say that that's just also something you don't do? I'm HIV and your Irv. Did somebody ever utter that on this show? I'm HIV and your Irv and I'll end your career, homie. Well, it turns out Jeff did not end Mike's career because Mike was on the horn during that very same program with this response. Obviously, I got to come at Jerry in Ohio, who might have lost his damn mind. Don't roll up in here with some kitty cat takes, then call the jungle a petting zoo. Jerry, if you want to come correct, you can start by picking up all those names you just dropped. Nobody cares who you met in the autograph line. I'm glad to hear your landscaping business is going well, though, because that's the only book you've seen since you last called seven years ago. Rather astonishing uh, exchange. <laughs> this guy. That's the very last bleep you've seen since you last called seven years ago. Anyway, Mikey DLC gets run, but it didn't matter. The damage to, quote, Jerry Jeff was done. Mike flexed his uncanny ability for the quick response. And he put that on display again last year during a smack-off call when he torched four different guys in about 50 seconds flat. Hey, I know Hawk has a man crush on me, and I want to keep this thing fair and square, so I need Hawk to recuse himself from voting for me. Hell, he probably already turned in his vote for me. Don't count it. Last name ever, first name gimmickiest, a.k.a. Leffen Laguna. Someone send out an Amber Alert for the smack in that call. It's still called the smack off, not the heartwarming moment off. This will be the true test of whether a gimmick alone is all you need. Mark in Boston's call left us with more questions than answers. Like, was that a seventh place call or an eighth place call? Still waiting to hear from the most pathetic man in the jungle, Stevie Carbone. Carbone realized he wanted to be a reality spoiler when he told some little kid Santa Claus didn't exist. And when he saw the disappointment on that kid's face, Stevie thought, damn, that felt good. So after that clinic, Mike then turned his attention to a rivalry that has been going on, going on now for the better part of a decade, DLC versus VIC. And Rome, I know Vic isn't calling somebody else horny. The only difference between Vic and Jim McElwain is access to a shark. I smacked Vic so hard a couple weeks back, he got put in the concussion protocol. The committee observed that Vic tended to be a regular in all the places you don't want to be a regular. The check cashing store, the neighborhood whorehouse, fifth place in the smack off. So they ordered a scan of Vic's brain, and in his brain scan, they saw an image of me waving at the camera. 
I've been in Vic's head so long, the state of California tried to charge me property taxes. So if you thought the game recognized his game and that Mike had respect for the champ, that's also something that you do not want to get twisted. He does not. He simply does not. Sometimes I get goosebumps thinking about how great I am. After left one last year, someone asked him how it felt to be the greatest smack talker in the jungle, and he said, I don't know. Ask Mike and Indy. <laughs> I'm telling you, Mike. Mikey DLC. Mike is the GOAT. Mike is the greatest ever. Just ask him. Listen, I hear that. I hear those exchanges. I hear some of that lava, some of the heat, and I'm wondering, like a lot of other people, where the hell is he? Where is the so-called greatest ever? Mike has been in nine straight smack-offs. This would make ten in a row. Could this guy possibly miss his voyage into double digits? Where is Mike? What is he doing? Mike in Indy, DLC, I did the profile. We've been wondering exactly where this guy is, what he's doing. We found him. Mike, what's going on, DLC? Hey, I'm, I'm doing all right, Jim. How you doing? Good, good. What's up? All where right. you been? Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, last live call earlier, I got to talk about that. This is an example of how bad this dude's stuff is without a gimmick. This dude puked in his mouth at least three times during that call and accidentally read one of his sentences twice. And those RSVP gimmick videos from left might be the dumbest thing I've ever seen. For something pre-recorded and scripted by his team of 30 writers, that's the best you could come up with? You greenlit that mess? Anyways, I'm somewhat humbled by the player profile package you put together for me earlier. Brought back some great memories and serves as a great reminder to everyone how great I am. It's silly season in the jungle with a lot of speculation leading up to this smack-off as to who's teaming up with who for a tandem call. And yes, I've had about half the field contact me about doing a tandem call with them, not doing it. You said it yourself, Jim. The biggest topic, though, is whether I'm calling in, and I'd like to put an end to the speculation. I'm announcing my retirement from the jungle. I appreciate the platform you've given me, Jim. It wasn't a decision I took lightly. I have a tremendous amount of respect for you and your crew and the product you put out on a daily basis. And the Smack Off is the most unique event in all of radio history. As a fan of the Smack Off, I appreciate your rules change you made about studio storming. A threat to justice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, and that's a just rule. Whether I was participating or not, that was important to me. Not many people get to go out on their terms in their prime. Many languish hanging on to past glory, like Charles Barkley with the Rockets averaging 10 and 7, or Vic and NoCal racking up 8th places like he did last year. I'm the best there ever was and the best there ever will be, and I'm content with that. Today, day, day, I consider myself, self, self, the greatest, greatest clone, clone on the face of the earth, earth, earth. I do declare, clear, clear. I do declare, clear, clear. Now I'm done. Mike and Indy hung up before I could ask him a question. Mikey, retired. Mike and Indy retired. Good night now! How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. 
keep the unicorns alive. Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love. 